where are the low-value men? Like, what are what are all the low-value men up to during these trying times? Because the high-value men, they, I know they're around. They won't shut the fuck up. Low-value men, I have not heard a word out of. I'm starting to think I'm on their side. I think I want one of those. I want a low-value man. They don't make podcasts. I haven't seen one low-value man make a podcast. Do they not know how to use microphones? Maybe that's a good thing. That's that's hot. All right. I haven't seen. I've never seen a man use a microphone for good. Until now, everybody, buckle up. It's low value mail time with your host, Danny Polishchuk. Oh, what's happening, everybody? Welcome back to an all new episode of Low Value Mail on. This August, it's August already. Where has the time gone? August 1st, 2023, the year of one of our lords, I think. Uh, It's episode 72, and today, tonight, on the show, we have with us Mikhail Svetov, everybody. Mikhail is a, a major figure in the Russian libertarian movement uh he's a podcaster he has a youtube channel that you can go check out svtv and he's gonna be on tonight i uh i actually i I think i mentioned it last week but i have this kid who makes uh clips for me for low value mail in the bathhouse and he's actually from uh russia which is a real pain in the ass because um it's uh, just re- like, you know, he's not like a Putin supporter or anything, but he just uh, like it's it's very difficult for me to pay him for his clips because of, of all the stuff with the war and all that stuff. But he was like, hey, you should have this guy on. And so and look at that. Look at that. So and we're going to bring him on very shortly uh, before I bring him on. Please do me a favor. Like subscribe, follow this channel, subscribe to this channel because you might be watching this on the wrong channel. I've had so many people tell me, they're like, hey, did you stop doing the shows? Did you stop doing all of your shows? And I'm like, no, I'm just on a new channel uh, because I got a strike because I'm a bad boy. Um, No, but I got a strike and then I moved it over, which I think in the grand scheme of things, it will be better that I moved it over. But legitimately, some people don't know. So and someone's already calling and which is silly because the phone lines are not open, but they will be. They will be. So just chill, chill, everybody. Um, if you'd like to support what I do here on Low Value Mail and the bathhouse, you can do so uh, one of two ways, either patreon.com slash lowvaluemail or Twitter or x.com. Go to x.com slash Danny Jokes. Pretty cool. Is it? I don't know. I, who fucking knows? But uh Anyways, if you want to support the show, once I hit five, so currently low value mail is two hours long. Once I hit 500 subs, paid subs, it'll be 2.5 hours long until we hit 1500 subscribers and then the show will be four hours long. I'll have a producer. I'll have multiple guests. It'll be a great time. That'll be, I mean, hopefully soon, but the way things are trending probably is going to be a while, but that's fine. Um, I enjoy doing the show very much. I enjoy you all. So if you'd like to support the show, five bucks a month. And on Patreon, you can even get um, a seven-day free trial. So you can literally try it out for seven days. I did a live stream yesterday, a subscriber-only live stream. So you missed out on that because you don't uh, you don't want to fork up the five bones. But if you can't or whatever, it's all good. Tell a friend. Honestly, 
if you don't have five bucks a month, just tell a friend. Be like, hey, there's this cool show. I like it. And uh, that's honestly a, a just as good. And we're uh, we're about 200 subscribers away from my goal. So go do that. You get all sorts of other bonus stuff, but whatever. Not important. Next week, we have Danielle Bolelli from the History on Fire a podcast, which is a, I was going to say a fire podcast because I'm 12. Uh, we got him next week joining us. And then after that, we have Joey B. Toons, Jeremy Kaufman. And then after that, War Mode joins the show. Wow, there's a major echo in here. We got a new studio. I didn't realize the echo. Uh, we got War Mode joining the show. And then uh, Mark Alpert the week after that. So lots coming up. And then Bathhouse back tomorrow. We got an all new episode of The Bath, The Bath House. Uh, we got Dave Temple joining us, Chloe LeBranch, and uh, maybe some others. So, without further adieu, uh, let's stand. The echo in here is wild. I didn't notice it, but I can hear when I start certain frequencies in this studio. We have really high ceilings in here. And, uh, anyways, do you do any of you care? Do you even hear it? Probably not. Um, give me one second here while I set this up and hold on let's bring them on ask to start video let me let me do this up hold on oh look at me hey there we are can you hear hear me Michael? yes i can oh there's um, a, there's are we broadcasting yeah there's a serious echo though oh yeah oh hold on a second is that me it's your echo. That is so weird. Somehow on my phone, it started playing the episode that we're currently listening to. I was like, what the hell is going on? All right. <laughs> I thought I was having a an aneurysm, but everything is well. Uh, welcome to the show, Mikhail. Thank you for uh, joining me. Um, thanks for having, thanks for having I, me, Danny. I can't hear you at all. Uh, that's, that's, your, that's your issue, not mine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. There's there is a little bit of a echo, but I don't know what that might be. But all right, we'll we'll figure it out. It's all good. Mm -hmm. um, so, anyways, th thanks for joining the show. Uh, I, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, so uh, you are one of the you know premier figures in the Russian Libertarian Party. Is that is that correct? That's correct. Well, uh, yeah, that's correct. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. So tell tell us um, about yourself. I guess just like a little primer before we kind of get into it of uh, just like who you are and. Uh, <laughs> All right. So I'm um, probably Russia's most uh, prominent libertarian. I organized some of the biggest political rallies in the modern history of Russia. Unfortunately, it's not possible to do anymore because of the war and uh, uh, the crackdown uh, on the opposition that Putin did in 2020. But uh, basically, I organized five rallies. Uh, the biggest one was 60,000 people in central Moscow. And if you Google online, uh, rally in defense of Telegram. Telegram is the biggest messaging si messenger system in Russia. Uh, I organized that. And uh, I also organized several uh, big uh, libertarian events, strictly libertarian events in Russia. I invited Hans Hermann Hoppe, uh, who read a lecture in central Moscow. You can uh, watch uh, uh, his lecture on my YouTube channel. It was the biggest uh, uh, single libertarian lecture uh, probably in the 
the whole world. More than 1,500 people attended. Wow. Uh, it was a like a major event. Uh, and my own personal accomplishment, and probably the uh, the one I'm most proud of, is I gave a ser- series of lectures across Russia, uh, lectures on libertarianism, on libertarian theory, on libertarian philosophy, economy as well, an Austrian school of economy. And uh, I've read lectures in over 70 cities of Russia, from Kaliningrad to Yuzhno-Sakhalinsk, so from uh, from the very east of Russia to the very west of Russia. Okay. So yeah, that's my proudest achievement. And uh, I think of all the, uh, um, I'm the only uh, opposition figure who's uh, who's accomplished something that like that. So I'm pretty proud of that. Unfortunately, right now I'm in exile in Brazil. Uh, I'm designated foreign agent by the Putin's by the Putin's government. I spent several months in jail in total, like in, in small batches. But uh, I spent several months in jail, and uh, um, I had my. Um, I also opened a, uh, a new sincerity club in Russia. It functioned for a little bit less than a year. It was a a libertarian club. Um, the, beautiful place but it was uh, closed for political reasons as well and you can watch some pictures online it's actually it was a like a grand uh, a grand mansion uh, very beautiful i was very proud of it it was meant to be like the center of attraction for a libertarian uh, for, for libertarian minded people in russia and to to spark the discussion political discussion uh, but uh, unfortunately <laughs> In Putin's yeah. Russia in 2020, uh, it was not meant to exist for very long. Right. So yeah, there we go. Yeah. And so, w- when you started trying to get that off the ground, like, w- did you have a lot of opposition right away? Because obviously, for people that don't, I guess, know, but they know that like it's not tr- like a democratic system like it might be in you know America or, or in the West, obviously in Russia, but it's like a fake democracy, right? Like they do have elections. But they're just yeah, those not- are sham. The, yeah, they, yeah, these are sham elections, uh, and they've been like that for at least at least fifteen years, maybe more than that. So uh, it's uh, more akin to something that they have in China, or well, I wouldn't compare it to North Korea, but it's pretty bad still. So they have an event that they call elections, but uh, only a certain people are allowed on the ballot. Only certain parties are allowed to uh, to be a party. So li- we are called the Libertarian Party of Russia, but we're not officially registered, and there's no way for us to actually get on the ballot on the ballot in the modern russia so it was not possible three years ago and today uh today basically my entire team people who worked on on the rally who helped me organize the rallies who helped me organize and open the club uh uh they're also in exile some of them in georgia the country of georgia uh, some of them in poland uh, others in spain so we're all scattered around the world today unfortunately because russia today is a very scary place yeah and is there anybody still there doing this or is it just there's no, no real way to no do no it? there there are there are some people who are left in russia but uh, uh they were less prominent in the movement and uh, basically today everyone is scared of doing anything so we're just waiting for the war to be over and hopefully maybe some political life will be back to Russia, but it's a hope. It's not a certainty. (laughs) Yeah. And so there's no way for, it's like, is there any mechanism in place where you could ever actually get on a ballot or no, that's like total pipe. I mean, theoretically speaking, theoretically, but I mean, yeah, theoretically Russia has a constitution. Theoretically Russia has law, a rule of law, but uh, in practice, no, no, there's no way. No way at all. Um, Interesting. So you, you uh, and when did you start the Libertarian Party there? 
I did. I'm not. I'm not. Or not started. Sorry, but started uh, involved with it. So I I got involved almost at the beginning. So I'm not the founder of Libertarian Party of Russia, but I basically joined like a couple of months uh, after it was uh, founded. So uh, I've been a member since 2010, and the party exists since. Uh, late 2009, I believe. I'm not sure about my chronology, but um, so yeah, I've been involved in uh, libertarian movement since uh, very early stages of existence of the party. And, and what specifically um, made you want to get into that? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I feel like libertarianism for the way that Russia's set up politically is like a pretty far reach almost in the sense where you're like, you almost want. Well, no the, that's that's yeah, but that's what makes people dream. And uh, if you remember Ayn Rand, she was not a libertarian, but she came from Russia and her experience of living in a totalitarian state actually fueled her, her love for liberty. Uh, and it's kind of the same way. So uh, because uh, everything is so bad, like uh, every time uh, I give a lecture, people ask me, you know, where do you think uh, a libertarian revolution is most likely? And I'd say, you know, places like Russia, because in countries where people are comfortable, in countries where they have a functional uh, political system, people are much more conservative. They are much more reluctant to change things. And uh, in places like Russia, in places where people are upset and where there is no means of, you know, influencing the government, the chances of a radical idea uh, taking uh, a hold over the people's minds and a territory is much stronger. That's why Bolsheviks won in uh, the communists won in Russia. And that's why they won in China. And they didn't prevail in uh, other European countries, for example, because people were much more upset uh, about uh, their governments and they were much more upset and disillusioned uh, about uh, changing the system from within. In Russia, nobody has illusions about uh, changing a country from within and the system from within because it's not possible. So uh, radical ideas are much more popular and you'd be surprised i'd say uh, russia has uh, at least until recently before the war russia had the biggest libertarian movement in whole world after the us so uh, that's uh, saying something yeah and, and what what would you i guess uh see that looking like like if, if it were to take hold as an actual like what would it have to have the chain of events that would have to occur in your mind in Russia for something well, I, to happen? I, I take I take everything. I mean, I uh, try to um, uh, I try to convince people that libertarian ideas are good. I try to, you know, influence uh, the minds of the younger generation. And I also try to uh, sort of uh, explain that, you know, it doesn't like it doesn't matter how the opportunity will look like. We just have to seize it. So if it's going to be possible through democratic elections, let's uh, uh, let's uh, run for the elections and let's try to win. If it's going to be, if the country is going to collapse, well, we have to work with that. So I think the biggest uh, mistake libertarians uh, make in the US and everywhere else is that they uh, don't prepare for each single scenario. And that's what we have to do. So it doesn't really matter because what matters is that when the opportunity arises, uh, we have to seize it. Yeah. And or how does, somebody else will or, like, yeah. 
Right, right, right. And so how does the the war play into this whole thing? Is it uh, like, do you think it, it can kind of be a catalyst to maybe eventually get there sooner or is it slowing the process down or, or, or what? Well, um, I think it's kind of both uh, paradoxically because uh, it's not possible to do any kind of uh, political work in Russia anymore. Since the war started, uh, the, the laws got much harsher and basically everyone I knew is either in immigration or uh, in jail, like literally in jail. And uh, like a, a reason I left Russia is uh, my close, uh, well, not a close friend, but a friend nevertheless, uh, Andrei Pivovarov. They it was taken off the plane out of Russia and incarcerated and he's been in jail for for over two years now. So, and that's the, the day it happened. I actually left Russia uh, because I understood that, you know, it was getting really, really close. And basically anyone who uh, tried to do anything in Russia uh, is either in jail or in uh, exile. So it's, um, in that sense, it became more difficult, but also the change became, uh, the change became a more inevitable in a sense because Putin got himself in a bind, and I don't see uh, the system recovering after that. It's, it doesn't mean Putin is going away tomorrow or in two years or in 10 years, for that matter. It means that Putin's system is not some t sustainable in a longer term. It, it will have difficulties reinventing itself. Uh, and that's when the opportunity arises to change things. And I hope some of the libertarian ideas uh, and some of the libertarians will be ready for the moment to uh, to use that uh, uh, opportunity to to change Russia for better and uh, uh, move Russia towards a libertarian future. Right. And would you go back in that scenario? Like, is there absolutely? I would absolutely. I would. Uh, I I go back to Russia the moment uh, it wouldn't guarantee incarceration for me. Right. So uh, I I I'm even ready to take risks. I'm just uh, I want them to be calculated risks. I don't want them to be you know stupid risks. Yeah. So um, I, I will. I def I'll definitely going back. And once, how do you? Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. How do you view uh, Navalny and, and what he did? Because he basically did that, right? He went back knowing that he was about to be... So what, what Navalny did was a gamble. So just to explain to your audience, uh, Alexei Navalny is like the biggest opposition leader in Russia, and uh, he survived the assassination attempt by the Russian government, and he risked everything, gambled, and tried to go back to Russia, even though uh, he was constantly pressured not to come back and was guaranteed incarceration. Uh, so... Uh, in his case, it was, I'd say it was a calculated risks, risk, but it was a uh, huge gamble nevertheless. So there was like a slight chance that uh, he might prevail. He hoped that the streets will rise and he hoped that maybe he received some guarantees that maybe he'll get some support from someone uh, who means something in Russia, uh, but it didn't, uh, uh, but it didn't happen. And uh, uh, he'll be, uh, um, uh, he'll be jailed until Putin is in, is in power. There's no way he's going out. Like, no yeah. way. Yeah. And do you think, does Putin have some sort of like succession plan? Like in the event that say he were to, because, you know, they, they have all these speculations about him that his health and all this stuff, he's in poor health. I don't know if that's true. He's unfortunately, unfortunately, these rumors uh, uh, has been spread since like 10, 15 years ago. No, he's in a great health. I mean, he's an old man, but he's in much better shape than Joe Biden, Biden for example. And that's yeah. pretty obvious just by looking at him. So, he may still be around in 10 years. And uh, uh, that's what I'm bracing myself for. Uh, if uh, 
to answer your question, if he has a succession plan, I don't think he does, at least not the obvious one. I think the best uh, uh, succession plan that he has is uh, the FSB. Uh, FSB is the Federal uh, Security Bureau of Russia, the XKG, uh, the 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 organization uh, which was created instead of KGB uh, is that the this uh, this uh, institution will take over after uh, after he dies or something happens to him but there's no obvious uh, person who can take over him uh, and that's uh, his uh, biggest mistake and uh, the biggest uh, flaw of his system yeah is, is does russia have term limits uh, well, <laughs> I mean, yes, do, they, but... yeah, yeah. do they technically have term limits? I'm sure. They're... Yeah, but uh, basically he rewrote the constitution two years ago and he reset his limits so he can he can uh, stay president as long as he like. And does he have to like. just keep resetting it in perpetuity or he doesn't it... have to? He, he, he doesn't have to. I mean, he has like, uh, uh, according to new constitution and the reset, he has another, what, 12 years. So, oh, okay. so um, he's good. Uh, he, he's good. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I guess so. You you've uh, been arrested how many times there? Well, I've been arrested. I, I like to go back like about five times, uh, but yeah. not for very long. It uh, like the, the longest I spent in jail, cons- like cons- um, the longest I spend spend in jail was thirty days. So, okay. and uh, yeah. they arrest you for like what's the law that they say you're breaking? They just keep inventing laws. And basically, I was arrested for organizing one of the rallies that I mentioned earlier. And uh, the way it happened is I was invited to talk to the uh, mayor's representative uh, who tried to convince me to relocate the rally uh, to a different spot. And there's like a big reason why I refused to do that, because people trusted, uh, uh, invested their trust in me because uh, uh, it was uh, it had a um, it had a symbolic meaning uh, why uh, rally should not have been uh, relocated. So I refused after the conversation. Basically, the moment I exited the government building, I was apprehended by the police uh, and uh, jailed. So, like they they gave some uh, formal um, reason why they were doing it. But the reason the real reason was is that I refused to cooperate with the government. Right, and is that like you say it was in the city? Like, is it similar in the center city? So is it yeah. like uh, the municipal government was the one that's arresting you or was it the... Because I imagine it comes no, from the top. No, the, the, uh, yeah, it comes from the top. But uh, the, the people who were arresting me were... Uh, it's called uh, Oman. It's basically the special... Um, special forces uh, who who do that who who does that so it doesn't matter who uh, arrests you because uh, uh, the decision to arrest me came from above right and then what what happens once like that occurs do they is it pr- totally just to scare you do they have are they like you have a yeah they, they, they de- it, de- it depends it depends uh, how important you are and basically i was always protected and everyone else was always protected by alexei navalny because basically we always knew that the when a uh, Terrible things will start happening. They will first will start hap- They will first start happening to him, uh, and uh, only then they will start to affect us. And it uh, actually uh, turned out to be true. He was the first one to go in jail, and now everyone is in jail or in exile. Uh, so um, the way it happens is that they arrest you, they try to scare you, and I actually had an operative trying to talk to me, you know, uh, telling me like, uh, why do I do that? And they know like all this batch of information on me. They're gonna publish, uh, and I just ignored that. And 
and then they just uh, lock you up and have some uh, uh, sham um, sham uh, process, right. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's not. It's like it's just as bad as you imagine it, and uh, you just uh, the moment they arrest you, you know that you're gonna go in jail for the amount of time that they actually demand you to be incarcerated for. There's no ra- there's no way to to um, dispute the accusation. There's no way to prove innocence. It just doesn't exist in Russia. Yeah, and there's no trial or anything. Like you don't have a lawyer. There is a no. You have a lawyer. You have a trial, but lawyer. But it's just like it's basically just like- he he can't do anything. Yes. And, Basically, uh, one of my friends who's a very uh, famous blogger in Russia, Mark Fagan, he's a politician as well. Uh, He became a bit pro-Ukrainian recently, but it doesn't matter. He used to be a lawyer in Russia. And basically, he said it uh, first that in Russia, a lawyer has to be a public speaker because the only hope for the lawyer to uh, soften the sentence for the for the. Uh, for the defendant is to go public and try to amass the public support and public dissent uh, in the hope of influencing the decision. And because in the courtroom, nothing gets nothing gets decided in the courtroom, unfortunately. It's just all public opinion. And it's so, all public opinion. Uh, I guess you probably have some, you know, unique insight into the 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 war. Uh, so I, I mean, I guess like what are, like what is there a, an official position by like the Libertarian Party on the war? And yeah, share, yeah. The, the, the war is criminal. Yeah, the war is criminal, and Putin is the only, uh, the only perpetrator. So uh, it's very straightforward. I'm actually upset with the American libertarians and the the way the 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 position they took uh, to the. Um, um, with the whole like war thing, because uh, you can be critical of your own government uh, sending money to Ukraine. I understand that. You can be skeptical about your government uh, getting involved in another foreign war. I totally get that. Uh, you can be, um, uh, you can refuse or cr- criticize or whatever, you rally public uh, uh, support against uh, sending money to Ukraine. No problem. But the the moment you start to repeat Putin's propaganda, you know, comparing Zelensky to Hitler and you're talking about the Nazis in Ukraine, uh, you just uh, become a useful fool. And it like it has nothing to do with your libertarianism. So I was very upset with the Libertarian Party of the U.S. recently. And uh, they became, uh, in a sense, to, to a degree, they became... Um, uh, what they always fought for, remember, uh, fought against. Remember, there was a meme that uh, uh, about the left that everyone who left doesn't like is Hitler, and somehow, you know, yeah, uh, Libertarian Party of the U.S. appropriated the same kind of lingo uh, in the last uh, sixteen months um, in regard of the war in Ukraine. So uh, it really upset me. Yeah. So the official position of Libertarian Party of Russia is that Putin is the uh, um, the war is criminal. Uh, Putin is. Uh, uh, is uh, the side who who is responsible for sparking that war and the Ukraine? Yeah, it has a lot of problems. I was never a fan of the Ukrainian government. It's incredibly corrupt, uh, and uh, but there were and yeah, obviously, like in every country, you have some Nazis, but. Ukraine never had a Nazi government. This this idea is preposterous. It's just ridiculous. It has no roots in reality. Uh, I was in Ukraine just a couple of years before the war in 2020, and I was actually invited to give a speech in Kiev. Uh, And I'm a Russian politician. I'm a Russian libertarian. Uh, I I don't speak Ukrainian. I spoke only Russian. And I was uh, uh, welcomed there. And like there was no 
Nazism there. Like just, yeah. just don't just don't repeat that. It's Putin's propaganda. It's like the lowest lowest tier of Putin's propaganda. Yeah, I think that really took off uh, the whole Nazis in Ukraine thing because everybody here on the left they would literally just they were calling everybody that they didn't agree with. Like what you said, they were calling them all Nazis, right? And then mm -hmm. all those people then sided with the Ukrainians in this war. So then everybody on the other side was like, hey. What about like, you know, they would have those, whatever those patches are. I don't know, like the sun patch. And no, like, they, 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 they have some, they have like the, some, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like nobody's like, they're, they're like Hitler's Germany. But uh, I think a lot of people were just like annoyed by the hypocrisy of the thing where you're like, yeah, you're calling like, I'm, I'm from, I live in New York, but I'm from Canada. And if you know, like the trucker thing in Ottawa, mm -hmm. the trucker protest, they were like, all those people are Nazis. And they're like, okay, well, what about them? And they're like, no, they're not. Cause we saw, so people, I think are just frustrated. I don't think people are really like, oh, those are literal Nazis and they're the bad guys. I think it's more of an opposition tactic against the people who were calling them Nazis to say like, well, you're a hypocrite now. Um, so anyways, I, I, I get, I, I get yeah, what yeah, you're yeah. saying. And I think it's perfectly fine to, uh, to, um, um, bring a light to this hypocrisy. It's just uh, um, at at one point it felt like you know it was a genuine, ha genuinely held belief by the libertarians in the U.S. Yeah, and it really. I think it, it really yeah, upset me. Yeah, and w what's the general consensus uh, among Russians? Like you know, uh, for the war, like did they still most like? Because I don't, you know, you hear polls, but mm -hmm. it's hard to I guess take polls at face value. No, you really shouldn't. Uh, so basically, uh, it got a little bit worse uh, toward, like uh, in the last 15 months or 16 months since the war started, because uh, I think a lot of sanctions that were imposed on Russia, they hit in the wrong spot. So uh, people feel like the sanctions were leveraged against them and not against the Putin's cronies. And that's a big, huge discussion that is actually taking place in Russia right now, because you like Russia being disconnect, disconnected from Visa and MasterCard, uh, we can't monetize our uh, uh, YouTube videos anymore, and some of the big retailers left Russia. But at the same time, you have you know those Putin's cronies, people who worked on forging Russian constitutions, living in the European countries, you know, visiting the U.S. And it happens all the time. And uh, uh, people see that and they get upset with the West. And I think they uh, they have a, a reason to be upset because I think the the stance that the U.S. took in the first uh, months of war was uh, incredibly dumb uh, and. I'd say that best uh, illustrated by, you know, Michael McFall. He used to be a ambassador of the U.S. in Russia. Uh, so uh, basically he started to, blaming, uh, to blame Russian people uh, for the war instead of the government. And that was, that was a huge mistake and resonated uh, in a, it actually boosted, I'd say not boosted support of Putin, but it's uh, boosted skepticism towards uh, the, the West and towards the uh, the forces that support the Ukraine. Uh, I think uh, American and the Western messaging got better in the last uh, couple of months, but uh, uh, a lot of time has been lost. So to answer your question, uh, people are afraid of the war in Russia. Uh, in general, they uh, are brainwashed by the Putin by the Putin's propaganda. And unfortunately, uh, Putin's propaganda get a lot of ammunition uh, from the Western media as well, because Western media was uh, trying for the longest time to sort of uh, 
force the responsibility for the war onto the people and move it away from the government. Not move it away from the government, but to mix the two. And uh, in Russia, uh, where there was no uh, free and fair election for the longest time, uh, people don't necessarily associate themselves with the government and the, the biggest talking point that the kremlin that the biggest talking point that the kremlin use is uh, they say that you know uh, you and us uh, we're together uh, and uh, whatever uh, whatever disaster uh, is gonna uh, is gonna be brought upon the government is gonna be brought upon the people as well uh, and uh, all of a sudden, the Western media started to repeat the same thing. You know, Russians are to blame. Uh, Russia is uh, responsible for the war, not Putin, not his cronies, not the government, not the politicians with whom uh, a lot of uh, Western elites still uh, have uh, um, uh, have uh, um, shared business affairs. You know, they still meet each other. They are still uh, on friendly terms. But the people, the same people who are in today are really helpless to change anything. So uh, there, there is no, I, I wouldn't say there is a wide support for the war, uh, but I'd say that in the last 16 months, uh, sympathy for the Ukraine and for the West waned. And um, that's uh, a big media fuck up. I'm sorry yeah. to say that. <laughs> <laughs> you can, yeah, we're just on YouTube. You can definitely uh, swear away. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's any, because I just saw like in the past week, there have been uh, like, there was like drone strikes in, in Moscow. Yep. Do you think, because uh, do you think that'll, because so wasn't I'm there an impression that none of this would ever reach the cities to that degree like the war would never really reach there or were they promised that? um so j just one thing you need to understand about the drone attacks in russia it's uh, purely for um for um it's purely for head uh Head not, not headlines. headlines. Sorry, I forgot the yeah. word. Headlines. Yeah, there you headlines. go. So yeah, yeah it's uh, purely for headlines. They don't uh, cause any damage. Uh, they're not Fortunately, they don't uh, manage to kill anyone as well. So it's um, purely like I wouldn't even call it a terror attack. Nobody takes it serious. It just looks good in the media, you know, to say that, hey, you know, we are capable of hitting Moscow as well. So I wouldn't take that uh, particularly ser seriously. I'd say Ukraine has been very successful at stalling uh, Putin's army in the first months of war. And I think it surprised everyone. And that's why Ukraine managed to ra rally so much support behind themselves. But uh, in the last couple of months, they were stalling themselves and they uh, uh, couldn't, uh, their counteroffensive that they were kept to, that they were been talking about for months uh, didn't really achieve anything. So now they're trying to save face by this kind of um, media bluster and uh, by claiming that they can hit Moscow. But no, don't take drone attacks in Moscow seriously yet. Uh, once you see the destruction, once you see like, you know, uh, at least a single building getting actually damaged and not just losing its windows, then it's going to feel like an actual war. But um, yeah. Not yet. Fortun I'd say fortunately, because I don't want to see the war coming to Moscow. And so you're, you're still in contact, I imagine, with, with many people who are in, in Russia. Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, uh, yeah I, 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 ran, I ran my own uh, media outlet. It's called SVTV News. It's actually the second biggest libertarian uh, news outlet in the world after reason. Uh, nobody knows about it except the Russians. So, um, right. uh, and and they, have they have full um, access so to yeah, it? Like in Russia? No, we've been banned. Uh, we've been banned like a, a, about a year ago. Uh, but people use VPN, and uh, most of our uh, readers are from Russia anyway. So, uh, but to um, sorry, can you repeat your question? 
Um, I was just I was saying because you I was actually going to ask something um, related to the whole thing with that. Uh, yeah, I was I'm, I'm in touch. Progression. I'm in touch with I'm in touch with people. I'm I'm in touch with people in Russia. Yeah, uh, that was your question. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So with the whole story with Prigozhin, like, did you have any uh, different insight? Because that seemed to be like the biggest story here for 48 hours. Then it just disappeared. Like it literally just like went it away. Just disappeared. You know, yeah. you turn on CNN or Fox News, they're like, "Oh, this is it! Like this is the end of the war. It'll be over within 24 hours." And then, you know, everybody was just caught kind of blindsided a bit that it just kind of went away. Do you have any insight into that? Um, so um, I, I think you know as much as I do because uh, Kremlin, like the political system in Russia, is very opaque. We don't really know, you know. Know who holds the power? We know Putin is in charge, but that's basically the extent of it. So we don't know uh, who has uh, uh, more influence on him. You know who has uh, um, power in the system. So to to answer your question, uh, Prigozhin is still very much part of the establishment, which surprises me. Uh, and he hasn't been expelled. He has been present in the Russian Af with the uh, in the Russian African conference that took place a couple of days ago. He was taking pictures with some um, African delegates there. And that was a big deal because he, it means he's still in Moscow. He still uh, feels safe, you know, appearing uh, in uh, uh, official environment. So but he lost a lot of his influence. Basically, uh, the Wagner group is not as influential as it was a month ago, and it's not going to be influential anymore. Um, that's that's a certain. So Prigozhin lost uh, his gamble, but what was his gamble exactly is actually very hard to discern. <laughs> yeah, because it seems like for what he did, you would think for what people I think think about Russia, that that's a death sentence. To go mm -hmm. against yeah, Putin. Yeah, that, 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 but the, you see, that's the, the problem with the Kremlin system is that it's so opaque. We don't really understand, you know, what is actually going on. Like, I, I, I have no good explanation why Prigozhin is still free, uh, why he uh, still holds any kind of influence uh, within Putin's circles. Because to me, what he did looks like 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 a betrayal, like a blasphemy. Yeah. Uh, but apparently he holds some of the cards and uh, it's not as easy to expel him as it is to uh, jail, for example, uh, Igor Strelkov. Igor Strelkov is one of the original architects of the war in the, with Ukraine. Uh, he was critical of the way the war was going on uh, and he was critical of the uh, Prigozhin coup as well. Uh, but uh, he's the one who is in jail right now and Prigozhin is a free man appearing in the um, in, on the official conferences. So I I, I don't have a good explanation of uh, what is going on yeah. with Prigozhin. Really. I, was, I was meaning to actually, uh, actually ask you regarding the, the jail stuff. So w did you, when you got arrested, are you arrested for the same thing every time? Is it literally? No, it, well, it, it depends. It depends. So like sometimes you are arrested for the same thing every time. Sometimes they invent something new if it's uh, uh, convenient. So uh, it, it really like it's just a pretext. So it doesn't matter uh, what you are being arrested for. What matters, what was the actual reason for you to be arrested? And usually it is you're uh, trying to organize a rally or you had a um, successful you know, lecture tour like it happened with me uh, or something happened uh, like the, the the, the the most exciting thing um, that happened to me was when I was going to read a lecture in uh, God I, in I, I forgot the name of the city. God, why? Uh, um, sorry, just give me a second. Yeah, no problem. 
By the way, the phone lines uh, are open, everybody. One triple eight nine. Yeah, in Kemerovo, in Kemerovo. So I was going to read a lecture in Kemerovo just after uh, there's a, was a big uh, fire tragedy and with a lot of people and a lot of pe people and children died in the fire accident, uh, and uh, I flew in. Kemerovo airport and I was actually kidnapped for several hours. They took away my documents. They locked me in the room. They started beating me up and basically put me on the plane back uh, to Russia on the empty plane back to Russia. Sorry, not to Russia, to Moscow on the empty plane back to Moscow. So uh, it doesn't, uh, th that's just to illustrate that it doesn't matter. Uh, the, 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 the official pretext doesn't matter what matters is why they are upset with you right. uh, and they're going to use any means necessary to get rid of you even kidnapping would, would would work okay all right we got a call one second here mccall hello thanks for calling low value mail one moment please hello yeah. hey you are on with mikhail who am i speaking with uh, this is Aaron from uh, Ohio. I called Aaron you from Ohio. Um, How's it going? Mikhail, just uh, hey, Aaron, one second. Mikhail, just so you know, I forgot to mention this to you earlier. When people call in, there's going to be like a five second delay where you can't hear me. Just don't worry about it. It's just Zoom. Okay. Uh, anyways, Aaron, go ahead. Okay. Uh, I, I wanted to ask Mikhail, um, what does he think will happen? Oh, well, two questions, if I can. Uh, what yeah, do we think will happen if um, Putin? Uh, once Putin finally um, is out of power, who will fill that power vacuum? And uh, also his thoughts on Snowden over there. Uh, that's all. All right, thanks. Or, uh, so I actually have a, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for the question. I'm, I'm actually, uh, like, I want to answer the Snowden question first. Uh, is I think it's a tragedy that the only place where Edward Snowden found refuge is Putin's Russia. I think it's a travesty. I think it's a, it puts a sh it puts to shame every other Western government, and it just shows how, uh, how in how much trouble uh, the whole world is in. If because uh, a genuine whistleblower, a person who exposed uh, government crime uh, and the global surveillance system against the American citizens, couldn't find refuge in any decent country and had to look for refuge in Putin's Russia. So uh, Snowden is living his life in Moscow as a at, as well as he can, uh, given the circumstances, he's not uh, he's not cooperating with Russian government. He's not uh, divulging. Uh, he's not uh, exposing any secrets, and uh, whatever secrets he has are ten years old at this point. Uh, so um, I'm just upset uh, with that. Uh, he couldn't find. Uh, he was not provided uh, asylum in a decent, like at least uh, <laughs> in, a, in in a Western country. Yeah. Do you know why Putin is uh, is allowing that, or um, because he doesn't I, I mean, care? He, he just 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 despite the the U.S. That's yeah. The only that's reason. just like a spy. That's what it seems like. Because it's just yeah, despite yeah. them saying, "Hey, like yeah. you He's, want this he, guy, but, we'll protect him." Absolutely. Huh. And to answer and to answer your first question, um, um, what was it about? I'm sorry. About the a power well, vacuum. It, it was. Uh, who will yeah who will fill the power vacuum whenever um putin is uh um either removed from power or dies or whatever happens mm -hmm. to putin there's going to be a power vacuum who, who do you think will fill that will it be Prigozhin and the wagner group or um no, my, my, some my, other Prigozhin had his shot so he Prigozhin is uh 
out of the picture. He got too many people scared and he was never a popular figure uh, within the establishment anyway. So he was always critical of the establishment and he was always his own guy. He was never uh, ingrained in Russian institutions. So uh, no, no, Prigozhin is out of the picture. Um, they're still uh, like, uh, and I also think that uh, um, like it's too early to say that without Putin, Putin's system is going to collapse. There are still some institution that exi- institutions that exist in Russia. Uh, they just look very different from what you're used in the West. Uh, for example, the FSB, uh, the Federal uh, Security Bureau, uh, is uh, incredibly powerful. It's incredibly well organized, and that's where Putin came from. And it's capable of uh, installing, if necessary, it's capable of installing a, a kind of a junta, uh, at least for a while, to keep uh, things under control. Uh, and also, I just mentioned earlier that uh, political system in Russia is very opaque. We don't really understand uh, who the main actors are. Like the situation with Prigozhin, it took everyone uh, by surprise, and the way it unfolded took everyone by surprise, and we don't really know uh, who are the main actors. So we know Putin is is important, uh, but uh, he's surrounding is much less obvious. So to answer your question, uh, it's not a given that uh, after Putin dies, the system is going to collapse. It might as well reinvent itself because it has this backbone of FSB and uh, it it actually survives not on law, it survives on uh, uh, the kind of a Cosa Nostra kind of thing. So it's a more of a mafia kind of arrangement. That's kind kind of what I'm getting at is that um, why why would we assume that things would be better if uh, Putin was gone and we don't have someone even more crazy in there uh, yeah, after but he's the, gone? The, not yeah, but the, that's not what, the system. But, that's what he's left. That's what he's. That's what he's leveraging against the world. And that's actually the uh, strategy that every tyrant used to survive. That's what Assad did in Syria, for example. So he basically uh, destroyed all the opposition. He destroyed everyone who could theoretically take his place uh, and then present you with presented you with the alternative you know it's either i or the isis and putin he does kind of the same thing in russia so he gets rid of anyone who might potentially uh, threaten his power uh, in a hope that uh, he will remain the only alternative so to answer your question mm-hmm. yeah there's no there's no guarantee that whoever comes after putin will not be as uh, uh, even worse but uh, that's uh, exactly uh, the conclusion that putin wants you to make as well <laughs> so do, do you think regime change is a is a good or bad policy if if say the west is promoting regime change in russia are you behind that or not behind that uh, to be honest, I think whatever hopes at regime change uh, the West had in Russia, it lost after Navalny got in jail and after um, after the war started and the sanctions were leveraged against Russia. So I don't think it's uh, a fee- it's it's attainable option at all. Uh, I mean, we don't know everything, and there might be like you know some uh, Man- Manchurian candidate, you know, uh, somewhere in Kremlin. But um, I'd say it's highly unlikely. And I can answer a, a slightly different question. I think the West is terrified of revolution in Russia. And I think the West has every reason to be terrified because as bad as Putin is, uh, Putin is predictable and he's much more 
help. And he's much more uh, convenient for the West than whomever might take his place or even worse. If the Russia is going to collapse, you know, in, in uh, 50 different states, you'll get at least 10 of these states going to uh, possess nuclear weapons. And uh, uh, at least uh, 10 of these, some of these states will have its own private military uh, company like the Wagner. And what's going to happen then? Yeah, you might not have a war in Ukraine, but you'll have like a million other wars somewhere on the periphery that the West won't be able to maintain or contain. Uh, so um, the West doesn't want the revolution in Russia. It it liked, it would like to have a regime change, uh, but uh, uh, I don't think it has. the West has a candidate right now. Yeah, there you go. Any, anything else, caller? Hey, well, thank you. All right, thanks for calling. Appreciate it. And that's the reason, and that's the reason... Uh, uh, just to 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 add one thing, uh, that's the reason why the West is not fully behind Ukraine, and I, I'm pretty sure you've seen all the um, headlines about you know the West not sending all the weapons that Ukraine needs, you know, uh, trying to prevent it from uh, uh, from getting hold of the weapons that they can actually use to to attack Moscow or cities within Russia, and the reason why is because the West doesn't have a strategy for Russia after Putin. They don't have a candidate there. They don't have a, a force that uh, is uh, that has changed, uh, that has a, a chance of, you know, a democratic force that has changed, you know, of uh, um, overthrowing Putin. Yeah, like they so might do all this, this and then to know. Yeah, because be, because it's it's easy to wreak chaos in Russia, but it's uh, uh, much harder to face the consequences of these of the of said chaos. And the U.S. understands that. I think did did the all the sanctions and stuff did that actually bring like the Russian people for the most part closer together to a degree yes like it just- did yes it did these sanctions were a mistake the way they were uh, forced on to russia uh, was it was a uh, Purely, it, it was first of all, it was a media disaster, and uh, uh, it was an economic disaster as well because it hit all the wrong people. So it yeah. made people unite around Putin. Uh, it it helped Putin unite economy uh, around himself, which is a less obvious talking point, but I think it's just as important because by uh, cutting Russia off, Swift by cutting Russia off Visa and Mastercard, what the West effectively did, they trapped the money within Russia. So whomever wanted, you know, to transfer money onto their foreign bank accounts, to to emigrate, you know, to, to take money out of the Putin's economy and out of the military economy, were not able to do that. But not because Putin prevented them from doing it, but because the West prevented them from doing that. And that's yeah. just like the moment it happened, I just couldn't fathom what they were thinking because it's such an idiotic decision and uh we're still reaping consequences of the yeah, of, yeah. of that like, decision like the, because i was gonna yeah. say the reason i know about you is because i have this kid who makes my clips he makes clips for me mm-hmm. for like you know instagram and whatever and he when i i hired him it said he was in amsterdam and then mm-hmm. he, he one day he's like he got kicked off of Upwork and he's like I'm actually in Russia and he's like and there's no way for you to pay me and we we've eventually figured it out but he told me about you and he's really into your stuff and so anyways but yeah he was just like it sucks he's like I can't get it. He's it like, sucks you know, and, and 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 hit all the wrong people it uh, hit the kind of people who actually try to uh, leave Russia it hit people who try to move their money out of Russia you know yeah. not to pay taxes not to sponsor the war and the West did it the, like the, the craziest thing is that it 
it was not because Putin, you know, uh, mobilized the economy. It was the West who mobilized Russian economy around Putin. And it, it just yeah. it still doesn't make any sense to me. There's no explanation. It's idiotic. Very odd. Okay, we got another caller. One moment, please. Hello. Thanks for calling Low Value Mail. Who am I speaking with? Hey, this is Dylan. Dylan. All right. Hold on one second while we put you through. And Dylan, you are on with Mikhail. Go ahead. Hey, Mikhail. Good to speak with you. Um, just because I've heard it been mentioned a couple of times, I want to kind of bring up this guy. I don't I don't know if you know much about him, but his name is Vladislav Surkov. And he's basically yeah. the architect behind that sovereign uh, or sovereign democracy that uh, that's been kind of been talked about, like with the sorry, if you hear my cat, he's freaking out that like he uh, that you don't really know what's going on. The, the political it's like political theater, pretty much. So you just want to comment on Vladislav Surkov? He's a, yeah, he, he used to work for the uh, administration of the president uh, in the late noughties uh, and uh, the early tens. And uh, yeah, he is the he's in the mastermind of the uh, I'd say of the modern polit of the modern Putin's political system. He generated all the ideas, but he's very much out of the picture today. Uh, he fell off the grace in two thousand. 15, uh, I'd say, right. and uh, he's been a shadow, like he's been uh, in the shadows since then. So he's not influential anymore. And I'd say people like him are too sophisticated for the modern uh, political system in Russia. So he, uh, okay. so like today, today the political system in Russia is much more simple than uh, in Surkov's time. So in Surkov's time, there was a theater, there was, you know, uh, intrigue. Uh, it was interesting to to follow the politics of Kremlin. Was interesting to follow. Today, it's much more straightforward. You don't get this kind of Byzantinian um, political um, sophistication. Today, it, like uh, read uh, the. Um, the 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 the, um, the the public te like telegrams and official statements that Russia posts today. There's no sophistication there. It's just extremely dumb and uh, extremely direct. Unfortunately, um, Surkov is much more. You know uh, why they got rid of him? Much more sophisticated. <laughs> was there a reason why he was? Uh, uh, was there a reason why he was removed? Uh, yeah, basically, um, like. He was um, okay. There's there are several reasons. First of all, after the 2011 and 2012, there was a period of big uh, uh, social unrest in central Moscow. There were big rallies, the biggest in Putin's history uh, in um, in modern Russia at the time. Uh, and uh, Surkov was supposed to prepare um, organizations to prevent exactly these kind of events from happening. That was the the main reason, the first reason why uh, he was removed from power, and the second reason why is because he was arrogant like his personality uh is uh, he's he's extremely intelligent uh and he just didn't fit the kind of entourage that putin was uh, um that putin was uh, uh surrounding himself with uh like uh, surkov was dangerous uh, because he was intelligent, because he was smart, because he was sophisticated, because he he worked with ideas and he generated ideas. That's not what Putin likes. That's not what he wants. Uh, Putin wants to surround himself with the yes men, with the people who are as uh, uh, who don't have their their own personality because Putin doesn't feel threatened by them. And to go back to the Prigozhin case that we discussed and uh, the big. Uh, um, 
um, the big outcome of the of his uh, coup attempt is that Prigozhin was actually leaked through the cracks. It was a charismatic leader uh, who was fairly independent, who was given this uh, great independence tendency within private military group. He was not accountable to anyone. And look how it happened. Uh, coup happened. And the uh, if you followed closely, uh, his statements that Prigozhin was highly critical of uh, uh, Russian Ministry of Defense. And Russian Ministry of Defense is exactly the kind of uh, person Putin trusts entirely. Uh, it's uh, someone who has no, no opinion, uh, someone who has no popularity of his own, someone who has no internal support within Russian system, within the political system, or among the people as well. And uh, uh, the big outcome of the coup is that Prigozhin was stripped of uh, his uh, power. So, yeah, for some reason he still remains in Moscow, but uh, he's not the same when he, uh, he's, he's not the same man he was uh, before the coup. Uh, and uh, Surkov is uh, is tr- uh, to, to Putin uh, it's trouble. Like people like him uh, are trouble because they have too much ideas, they have too much intelligence, they think they are smarter than the system, and the system does not tolerate people like that. Okay. Anything else, caller? Couple, yeah, a couple things, uh, real quick. Uh, reason Prigozhin's still alive? Someone needs to get Putin's hot dogs. All right. So, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, Vladislav Surkov also wrote a book under the name Natan Dubovitsky, I believe. Yes, he did. Yes, he and, did. Yeah, and he writes articles and whatnot. But I, um, I just want to ask. He, real he quick, writes. He writes what, poetry as oh, well. <laughs> Oh, really? Okay. I'll have to yeah. check some of that out. Um, uh, sorry. Um, you got, Oh, um, as far as like, you hear a lot of these, like a lot of people try to say like this, Russia is like this based Christian nation and I don't want to get oh. you in too much trouble, hopefully, but like, um, you know, like Russia leads or leads, but they have the highest rate of abortion and like, they're pretty high in the rates of like HIV I don't mm-hmm. even think Putin really practices Christianity. No, he doesn't. Um, no, I he doesn't. He practices Chabad, um, if I'm, if I'm <laughs> not mistaken. Uh, no, I don't think he practices anything. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's. Uh, I think it's one of the most effective uh, propaganda points that uh, uh, Kremlin actually managed to instill into the Western audience is that Russia somehow is this champion of traditional Western values, and it can't be further from the truth. Like Putin does not believe believe in Christ. He does not practice religion. He's not a conservative man. He divorced. He Nobody knows who his children are, but even that doesn't matter. Like the best example of uh, the kind of perversity that Putin did, uh, of the perversion of the Christian faith in Russia under Putin is the um, Cathedral of Ministry of Defense. Just Google it. Uh, and it's an incredible place. It looks like something out of Warhammer. Uh, it has uh, um, a communist star and hammer and sickle on its frescoes and on its stained glass within the body of church. Like, Can, can you imagine that? That's blasphemy. Uh, but that's the kind of religion that Putin practices. Uh, it has uh, like uh, w- within the body of church, uh, this church, there is a um, uh, Hitler's hat uh, being stored under the glass because it's like this uh, important war trophy within the body of church, let me mind, remind you. Uh, it has uh, a frescoes of Bolshevik leaders and Stalin and uh, uh, Lenin. Uh, at one, uh, It was uh, uh, 
drawn on the walls. And then after a huge scandal, it was removed, but it doesn't matter. Like the, the, the idea didn't just cross their mind. They tried to implement it. So just Google it. It's a crazy place. And that's the kind of, um, and that's, uh, that's what people meet in the West mean when they talk about, you know, Russia being this bastion of Christianity. No, it is not. Uh, Russian uh, people in general are quite atheist uh, because of the Soviet era, because of the, um, most of them are agnostics and Putin. Yeah. Like he, he, he does, he doesn't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure even the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox church believes in Christ because what, what they do with the church and within the body of church is, uh, is blasphemous. And there's no like explanation again, Google, uh, cathedral of ministry of defense of Russia. Just look at the pictures. It, it tells all the story you need to know. When was it built? was built about five years ago. I think it's a fairly recent building, but oh, okay. again, just, just the idea of a hammer and sickle and a communist star and, you know, communist leaders being um, depicted on the frescoes of a church should terrify you. Yeah. yeah like that's... tell you everything you need to know about the kind of the state that the church is in. That's pretty wild. Um, all right. Thanks caller. All right, we got we got another call here. One moment, please. Hello, thanks for calling Low Valley Mail. Appreciate your patience. I know you've been trying to get through. Who am I speaking with? Hey, Danny, this is uh, Jay from California. Jay from California. One moment, please. All right, you're on with Mikhail. Go ahead. Hey, Mikhail, how you doing? I'm very well, thank you. So I have a a, a question uh, to ask you um, concerning uh, the Nord Stream pipeline. Uh, what yes. are your uh, ideas or what, what do you think about the, the fact that the, the Western media really is not covering it or making it seem like it's not really a big deal? Well, the, the, uh, the Western media is, uh, I think, discredited itself. Uh, in the last 20 years immensely. So I'm not surprised they're not covering it. If you're asking who blew it up, I'm pretty sure it was either Americans or the Ukrainians under the American command. Uh, I don't think Russia did it. There is nothing uh, Putin has to gain from blowing up the Nord Stream. Uh, it, like th there's like there's no motive for for the Putin to do it. Uh, I'm pretty sure the Americans did it, and I understand why they cover it up because uh, it's it's an attack on a NATO state uh, within the NATO waters, and there's no good explanation why it happened. Uh, it might get Germany upset as well because Germany still uh, is under the impression that uh, you know after the war. <laughs> After the war will end, maybe they'll find some common language with Putin and that puts an, an end to it. Uh, so, yeah, I'm pretty sure Americans did it or the Ukrainians uh, under the American command did it. Uh, I'm not surprised the Western media doesn't write about it because there's a lot of stories that uh, Western media didn't cover that should have been covered in the last 10 years, at least. But it's it's one of those things that it seems like it's going to affect everything in the future and also it's supposed to be one of the biggest um um environmental it just leaks in history and it's just something that no one really cares about and it's something that is i i would think with with people being so obsessed with um climate change and humans do and it, it just seems like this this one thing is pretty big and it's just completely being glossed over i think by many sides 
almost as if climate change is a uh, uh, is a moral panic and uh, is used by the establishment uh, is, and is, and and is used by the establishment, you know, to advance their agenda. So, uh, yeah, I'm not surprised because I've seen it many many times and uh, like the the. the the kind of war that is taking place in Ukraine and the collapse of the hydroelectric dam there and uh, um, the constant uh, tension. And, you know, these are all natural disasters uh, uh, are in the making. And the, in case of a hydroelectric dam, it's uh, already happened. So nobody talks about it as well because it's not convenient. And uh, the point of uh, uh, global the hydroelectric warming, yeah. dam I didn't even know about. Which hydroelectric yeah, dam? This is uh, it, it was in the news, all over the news, actually, for, for a while at least. Uh, uh, Zaporozhka hydroelectric dam. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that was in the news for sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, in, it was in, in Ukraine. The... In Ukraine. Yes. Yeah, in Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's what okay. I'm talking about. So, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, uh, yeah. Yeah, go on. Okay, so, but with, with, with all of the coverage being uh, with, uh, for the longest time, everybody here, at least in California, has their Ukraine flags out on the street. And was like we bleed blue and yellow, and we're just. Mm-hmm. And now it's kind of gone. I don't want to see the opposite direction, but people are like, we want results. We want to see. I think it's just people are more aware of facts now, maybe than they were in say like Afghanistan and Iraq, where people were blindly sending their children and blindly sending their money, and we know about more things now. Well, it's a different time yeah. information wise, like just access to information was different then. That's true. But uh, it's, there's also a factor of uh, um, a learned experience. So basically, I think Putin, uh, I think Putin made a huge gift to the Western establishment by starting this war because it uh, instantaneously uh, explained to a lot of uh, European countries, at least why they need NATO. And if you have uh, read what uh, Emmanuel Macron ta- said about NATO just like a year before the war started, is that, you know, uh, NATO was uh, uh, losing uh, its meaning. You know, it, uh, the organization uh, didn't pursue the uh, the uh, didn't pursue the uh, intents that it was originally built to protect, et cetera, et cetera. And now the, the Europe understands really well why it needs NATO, because they have a very uh, simple enemy uh, that is threatening their existence. Uh, so, uh, but to um, to answer your question uh, about support of Ukraine, uh, because it's easy to support someone who is winning, it's much harder to support a side uh, that is uh, uh, not is not capable of reaching its goals. And Ukraine uh, a year ago uh, was a country that successfully stopped Putin, uh, Putin's aggression. Uh, nobody expected that. Uh, Zelensky, he, in the first months of war, he was actually a competent leader. And uh, the way he stayed in Kiev, even though every single advisor from the West advised him to move to Poland or somewhere else, uh, was a brave, uh, uh, was an act of bravery, and uh, people loved I, him for I that. I completely agree. Completely agree. It just seems like with Zelensky, he's a bit of a. I don't want to say a stooge, but at this point, it's like, bro, change your shirt. Like, yeah, I get yeah, it. The, the, I get of course, it. Reason, but that, it's, just, that, it's gotten to the point where it's. Of course, and you are completely right. And I was saying that in the first months of war and trying to explain it to my audience is that Putin's uh, greatest weapon 
is time. And uh, you know, this Chinese proverb is that, you know, if you wait long enough, you'll see the the body of your dead enemy, you know, flowing down the river. Uh, and that's uh, the tactic that Putin has been using against his enemies for the longest time. He thinks time is in his uh, is on his side. He thinks that he can weather any crisis because he uh, doesn't uh, because concern he has. himself with costs. Because he has up to this point, correct? Yeah, of course, I, of course, and that's what I'm when saying. George Bush was friends with him. I'm old enough no. to remember when they were like, "Look at this guy; he's a good guy." And it's like to be someone alive now and seeing like, "Oh, we never said that." I'm just like, wow, I, I remember. I remember the West was pretty good friends after the, the, the early 2000s, the late 90s. Yeah, and Putin was uh, a different man back then. And I think a West, the West did uh, a lot of mistakes, to be honest. Like, uh, I think the biggest mistake uh, is not trying to lure Putin into NATO. I know it sounds odd to the American citizens and you hate NATO and you have every oh, reason to hate it. Oh, it sounds crazy to me. It sounds crazy Yeah, but there was, a moment, there was a moment in time in the early noughties, in like 2001 to 2004, like right after the uh, 9-11, when the Bush was very close with Putin, when Putin entertain the idea of joining NATO. And he actually was uh, um, um, was uh, waiting to be, in, not invited, but, you know, to, to start the negotiations. But uh, the the invitation never came. Uh, and I think there was like, it was, there's a window in time when it was possible for, for, for a few years, three years, maybe. Um, and I wish the, the diplomats uh, realized that. And I think the whole the 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 this, the, the history of the world would have uh, turned completely different if it happened. Uh, but um, um, to 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 well, reiterate, I, I, my... I don't think Western leaders were sincere about it. That's that's the whole thing. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't. I don't think Putin either. I don't think either. Yeah, I don't think either. I think Putin was uh, at the time uh, he he was. Uh, um, under the impression that the West was sincere, uh, I, I think he was well, naive because he saw to a what degree. they did to Gaddafi. I hear that he he watches. I don't know if this is just Western propaganda or who this comes from, but that he watches the video of Gaddafi being stabbed with a knife up his ass mm-hmm. every morning to kind of remind him this is what will happen <laughs> to you if you lose to the West. That's and I don't know if that's true, watch that every I'd morning. I'd be pretty but... scared if I was him because there's no exit plan for this guy. When you yeah, lose to us, you, you... we put a knife up your butt. <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 a great point, and then uh, I uh, repeated myself uh, many times, not in regards of Gaddafi, but that uh, if you don't give someone like Putin an exit plan, then he will find his two, uh, then he'll find till the last man uh, to stay in power, uh, and that's one that's one of many mistakes that uh, um, the Western diplomats made in the last uh, years in dealing with Putin, and uh, the same goes uh, in regards to this war. So basically, for Putin. This war is the war of survival, and uh, uh, he's in the position. And it's been the war of survival for many other leaders. Syria, you brought up, and it seems like he was in a very similar position. Of course, Assad is in the similar position, and it was a disaster. Whatever happened in vacation here. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know if you know that, but his his son is always spotted in uh, in uh, Hollywood in like nice cars with really pretty women of course of course of course he is because uh, <laughs> yeah. uh the elite the elite um leaves leave by a different set of rules than the rest of the than the rest of us uh, so but to, to 
um, so Putin is the different uh, from Assad in a sense that he possesses much more power uh, and uh, he is capable of threatening the rest of the world, not just with the nuclear war, but with the, the threat of chaos is actually a very uh, potent one. The one I mentioned before is that nobody wants to see Putin fail completely because a complete failure of Putin regimes regime can bring up uh, uh, all sorts of unintended consequences the end of the world. that nobody wants. Well, not, ne- not necessarily the end of the world, but uh, all sorts of uh, unintended consequences that nobody wants to deal with. And uh, I think in Europe, people realize it a little bit better than, um, than the Americans because they saw, uh, like, there was a lot of resentment toward the Tsarist Russia. Uh, in the 19th century. Uh, and Europeans thought that it was a great idea, you know, to sponsor a Bolshevik revolution, the communist revolution. You know, they helped uh, uh, Lenin go get back to Russia, um, all these sort of things. And they thought it was a great idea. Uh, and the result of the Bolshevik revolution uh, was that they got uh, a much bigger problem on their hands than the, whatever oh, yeah, problem yeah. Uh, Russia Holocaust, presented. Yeah, but yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, but I'm saying I'm saying the occupation of half of uh, of Europe by the uh, by the Bolsheviks. I'm talking about uh, no, you're right. Uh, me, the me being an War. American, I don't see it the same way. I have no skin in the or not the same skin in the game as yeah. you do. Oh, okay. Yeah, but the yeah. Europeans well, feel you it guys, really well. Thank you for I I yeah, have to you. get back to work. Yeah. <laughs> thank, you. thank you, Danny. Yeah, appreciate you. It's been great. Um, thank you for being civil with me, and uh, you guys have a good night. Yeah, take care. Thanks for coming. Good night. Yeah, but um, just to finish my thought, yeah. just to finish my thought, um, uh, the 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 Soviet Union presented uh, a much bigger threat to the rest of the world and to Europe and to the United States than the Tsarist Russia, uh, and uh, this is something that the Europeans learned uh, very well uh, after the 20th century, and I think that's what's stopping the West today from. Uh, uh, from supporting uh, Ukraine to the fullest because the collapse of Russia uh, is not something anyone wants to see again. Right, right. Okay, we got another call. One moment, please. Hello, thanks for calling Low Value Mail. Who am I speaking with? Uh, it's Josh. Josh, all right. One second while we patch you through. And you are on with Mikhail. Go ahead. Hey, what's up, man? Um, so I got a libertarian... Uh, I guess I'm um, not sure if you, know, you guys... Uh, um, principles are the same as here in the state. Is there, the is there any, party. sorry to cut you off there for a very second. Very much the same. Very yeah, much the same. Are, are there <laughs> any different principles between being a libertarian in, uh, Russia or versus- no, no, uh, no. Uh, we are Rothbardian uh, libertarians, and actually, we had the very same schism uh, within our party several years ago. Uh, this, the same kind that you had in Libertarian Party of Russia after the Mises Caucus took over. So we are very much aligned. <laughs> okay. So I guess my question then—that's good to hear. Um, as a fellow libertarian, um, actually, I was just listening to Dave Smith before I start jumped on Nobel Mail. He's a big uh, libertarian guy here in the state. Um, we're very anti-war, and I would assume you are the same. So I don't know if you touched on it yet, but what, what is your ideas of the best way to end the war immediately and, and save lives? Yeah, uh, thanks uh, Thanks for the question. Uh, basically, uh, negotiations have to start now. Uh, it was different in the early stages of the war when uh, Ukraine was uh, uh, was on the defense, uh, when they were trying to stop Putin's forces from advancing. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure I agree with the uh, stance that Libertarian Party of the U.S. took 
in those first months of war. But today, the solution is negotiations because you, Ukraine is not, uh, obviously, uh, we saw the counteroffensive, is not capable of uh, pushing Putin's forces back. Uh, and uh, arithmetics, like simple arithmetics, work against Ukraine. Russia is a much more populous state. Putin is a much more totalitarian leader. And these are um, these are variables that you have to take into account when you uh, when you try to imagine how the war will, will pan out. So the the time is not on Ukraine's side, like it or not. And uh, I, I I don't particularly like it. I think uh, uh, Putin uh, is has brought uh, not just a real tragedy to the west of the Ukraine. I think he committed a crime. He uh, he committed a mistake, which is even worse than crime, uh, because. Uh, for various reasons, doesn't matter. But today, if you are not capable of uh, moving uh, the the front line in any meaningful way, you have to negotiate because people are dying for nothing. And this kind of, you know, uh, the meat grinder that is taking place at the point of uh, um, at the front uh, is uh, is inexcusable. And uh, I'm not sure who's uh, I'm not sure. Um, who's refusing to negotiate, I feel like it might be the Ukrainian side. And if it is, then they are making a huge mistake because time is not on their side at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And I would, I definitely, as a fellow libertarian, like to blame my own country for all the woes mm. in the world. You know, you were very critical of Russia and uh, I think the United States libertarians are the same about the United States. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear you like-minded view. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. Um, I have a question for someone in the chat here, actually. It says, so do you support Ukraine's admission to NATO? Uh, I just, I'm not the one who should answer that question because I'm not the Ukrainian citizen. I'm not the Ukrainian politician. I think it makes sense for Ukraine to ask to be uh, to be accepted into NATO. I think it's not in the interest of uh, European states, but politics are more complicated than that. So yeah. uh, there might be uh, other variables in, in place. But uh, the one thing you need to understand about Ukraine, uh, as, uh, as heroic as their um, defense has been in the last months, uh, as much as the as they are victims of the Putin's aggression, and I want to reiterate that that because in the West, you know, there's all kinds of talks, you know, that the Putin was provoked by the NATO bases, etc. No, uh, Putin is the sole perpetrator of that war. There's no shades of gray. There's no you know nuances there. It's quite obvious. Uh, you don't need to 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 explain away why aggression has been committed. Uh, but uh, Ukraine still is a very corrupt state, and uh, it's not obvious that uh, they're going to reinvent themselves after the war. And that's what uh, keeps uh, uh, European countries and the Western states, uh, that, that's what makes Western states hesitate uh, when they uh, contemplate uh, allowing Ukraine into NATO, because it, it, it's a country riddled with all sorts of uh, problems that um, are not going to solve themselves. Uh, so uh, I'm not sure if it's in the interest. I understand that it's in the interest of Ukraine to be uh, accepted into NATO. Uh, I'm not sure it's in the interest of the Western countries, and it's not up to me to decide. Yeah, yeah, because it is definitely uh, brought up a lot as the reason why 
uh, Russia invaded was specifically yeah, but again, that reason. Yeah, you don't. It's not a reason. It's a, a pretext, and mm-hmm. you have to distinguish between the two. You, you don't uh, contemplate. You know, well, you, she shouldn't. Uh, she shouldn't have. You know, wore a short skirt, uh, and she wouldn't get raped. That's not. That's not how it works. Uh, you can, uh, as a, being a politician, being a uh, public speaker, you can contemplate. You know, you know what kind of events. What 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 uh, a country needs to do to avoid a catastrophic scenario like a war, and that's a legitimate question. But when it comes to naming the perpetrator, uh, we shouldn't uh, uh, we shouldn't uh, blame digress and yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah and, bl- and blame the victim uh, for being the victim. We can call a victim stupid. We can call the diplomats incompetent. We can you know blame all sorts of politicians for not doing their job right, and that those are all valid points. But we should not blame the victim. The, the, these uh, these two arguments they don't have to go together. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. Let, we got another call. One moment, please. Uh, shout out to Reagan Foster with a question. Hello, thanks for calling. Low value mail. Who am I speaking with? Danny boy, it's Format here. How are you? Hey, today? what's up, Format? Hold on, one moment, please. All right, you're on with Mikhail. Go ahead. Hey, um, so uh. Are you? I wanted to. Are you uh, format? Are you uh, like on a speakerphone or something? You just sound really far away. I'm on speaker mode, but there's also a plane flying over me. One oh, okay. Second. Sure, it's, sure, it's not a UFO. It's not a UFO this time, bro. Okay. He's got a great. Uh, this guy's got a really good UFO story. Um. Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> no, I live right next to an airport right now, so almost every time I try to have a conversation outside, there's a plane going by. Um, but anyway, so, uh, Mikhail, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about just like you, uh, you personally, like say, if you were elected, all right, um, what, what, what would be some of your first orders of business? How would you, yeah, how would you run things? I just wanted to get like a, a beat on you. Uh, well, it's a very general question. Um, depend depending on this, like uh, if we're talking about Russia, there are certain things that need to be changed dramatically, and one of the first things that need to be changed is uh, um, civil, like the civilians uh, have to. Uh, have a right to own firearms. And I think it's incredibly important. I know it sounds like out of the blue uh, regarding, I, I know it sounds out of the blue because we just, we're talking about geopolitics and things like that, which are very important. But uh, yeah. I think it's impossible to create a civil society without uh, arming the civil society, without what, giving what are the laws civil currently? society a leverage. What, what it's, it's nearly it's it's nearly impossible. Russia is has the strictest laws against firearms. I think even for hunting in, in the whole world, even for um, hunting stuff like that. Even for hunting, I mean, like you, you theoretically, you can get a uh, permit, and some people do. Uh, but uh, uh, I'm talking about legal right to defense. So it's it's not enough to legalize uh, ownership of firearms. Uh, you need to legalize uh, civil defense. You need to legalize people using firearm to defend themselves. And I think that's that it has a paramount importance uh, for any uh, country. Um, so, yeah, but I think this, this is like, it's not, maybe it's not number one priority, it's number two priority. And the number one priority is to uh, not redistribute, it's not a right word, word, word but uh, 
So the government in Russia owns 97% of land in Russia. And it might sound crazy to an American because in the US, most land is in the private hands. Uh, so uh, I think that's one of the major drivers of poverty in Russia. I think uh, uh, land needs to be sold to Russian citizens on the market uh, together with the uh, whatever um, uh, precious metals and uh, uh, oil, etc. that is available there. People need to get rich from their land. And Russians were denied that for the for their entire existence. Uh, the, the example I like to use is that in the US, like one of the backbones of the US prosperity was the gold rush when people went to Alaska, you know, to uh, to 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 seek, uh, um, to pursue their happiness, to to, to seek for uh, for money and uh, for, for prosperity. Right. And in Russia, instead of Klondike, we had Kalima. Kalima is the place where Soviet Union uh, forced people to work on gold Gold, uh, on the gold in the gold mines to to um, to mine gold for the state and uh, people died there. They didn't as get a punishment. As a punishment, as a resource, as a resource. But, but like, were those people like like were they? Was that a punishment for they like were a crime? Poli- they were poli- You know, they they were political prisoners. It was during the Stalin's era, yeah, uh, yeah. so it d- d- didn't matter what you did. They just they used you as a resource. Uh, so um, the two major reforms that Russia requires is the uh, reform that allows people to defend themselves and not just rely on the government. And the second one is uh, uh, for to to lift the monopoly on land that the government currently possess. These are, yeah, these are two major things that need to be changed. Yeah, that's pretty good ones. Um, what else format? Yeah, um... I mean, you're making some good points. I can see how, you know, society with a little bit of this and that would be um, going in the right direction. Uh, now, as far as, and it, you know, like my follow-up question was going to be like, um, basically, mm-hmm. how do you ensure one's individual rights are respected? And you were kind of, you know, some of the answers you were giving uh, were uh, very much on uh, on topic for that um mm-hmm. do you uh, uh i have one more question but just specifically about my uh like this point about m- ensuring everyone's individual rights uh as a uh you know as a russian libertarian well, let's just call you a libertarian who cares mm-hmm. what what from uh <laughs> what are some of your ideas like say you have you have this power right with that which i personally don't believe anyone should have to uh you know just be at the at the center and tell everyone what to do uh but you know so theoretically you do have it uh to make sure that everyone like absolutely everyone has equal rights right because i i believe that everyone is born with equal rights you know some people abuse those rights and they you know the, the people that are able to abuse others rights they just uh they just call their rights authorities you know like they're some kind of special rights that only they have but everyone else doesn't have Uh, do you have any ideas on how to make sure that while you have the reins of power, you do everything possible so that in perpetuity, you know, in the future, everyone is equal? And, you know, and so, essentially power is not abused is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, I, I actually, it's not a simple answer, but it's um, simple to phrase it. So it's not enough to enshrine rights. Uh, you need to empower people to protect it. And that's what you need to concentrate on. I think people and libertarians in particular uh, 
way too concentrated, you know, how on phrasing things the correct way uh, and uh, believe that, you know, if you phrase uh, a certain value, a certain, like the correct way, then it it's going to become true and then that it's going to solve issues in the society. But that's not the case. It's not, a, the, uh, the rights are not about words. They are about institutions and they're about redistribution of power. And uh, you need to empower people to protect it. That's why I stress the importance of, you know, uh, people being able to own firearms and use firearms to protect themselves and to organize. And because without that power, you can't, uh, protect the right. Uh, and uh, to elaborate on that, uh, I think uh, the word right got perverted in the recent years a lot because people call everything they, they want to have. They, they, they call a privilege a right. And we shouldn't uh, mix the two because those are two different things. Uh, they are privileges which you earn and which uh, should be different like people are privileged in a different ways you know uh people are different from each other and that's why they are privileged someone is privileged to be an artist the other person is privileged to be a doctor and the other person is privileged to uh being born in the us being uh and someone else is privileged to have a good family that raised him well and you know um he moves on uh through his life uh uh, being a decent human being. So uh, these are not rights. These are privileges. And we shouldn't seek the equality of privileges, but we should seek the equality of rights. And the only rights that uh, um, and it's a right, it's right uh, before the law. Uh, and it's a, a right of equal opportunity, not of equal e outcome, but of equal opportunity. So, yeah. Uh, but uh, it's not enough. It's, I think it's pointless to talk about rights and the way how we should phrase those rights uh, for them to be good. Uh, we need to talk about institutions and uh, about empowering people to, to being able to protect their rights, because otherwise uh, we're going to see the degradation of the system and uh, its uh, decline, like what we see in the U.S. today, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think rights are pretty easy to define because I, I do agree with you a lot of people do confuse the terms i i'm very anal about the word rights and the word authority and the difference between the two it's uh it's like the foundation of my uh moral compass um now uh, but it, okay, so can i interrupt you for a second I, I just want to stress it again that uh, yeah you can be anal about the rights and the meaning of words but all that matters in the end is if uh, you uh, have enough power to protect what you uh, hold to be self-evident truths in like uh, using the words that are used in the constitution of the us uh and if you don't have that power you know talk to, is cheap uh, hold yeah i, I and uh, you know j just to give a like top of the head answer to what riots is uh it, it's something everyone has like regardless of where you're born it's uh if you uh if you're born in the united states or china everyone is equal in that sense uh in, in that way everyone has the exact absolute right uh so um yeah but anyways uh uh the the, the last point i wanted to uh to ask so Given the reins of power, would you uh, would you collect taxes to achieve your goals, or do you have any other ideas about how to make no. the world just? I think government already collects uh, so many taxes that uh, 
the, the, the amount of money government collects from people is enough to enact whatever reform that uh, a libertarian might deem necessary. So I think liber- movement towards a libertarian society is uh, a gradual process. I don't believe that you can get rid of all the laws and all the taxes uh, and uh, build a free society. That's just not how things work in real politics. But uh, I think what libertarian can do and should do, and like I strongly believe that all the laws that ever needed to be enacted are already enacted. All the taxes that need to be collected and need to be uh, levied uh, are already being levied. So the only thing that is left for the libertarian is move in the opposite direction to lower the tax burden, to uh, remove the laws, like to 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 um, to get rid of the laws that are hampering the uh, development of society. So to, to, to answer your question directly, I wouldn't levy new taxes and I wouldn't enact new laws. I would concentrate on getting rid of laws and getting rid of taxes, but I don't believe that you can get rid of all the taxes and all the laws uh, in one single movement. Yeah, that seems pretty reasonable. Okay. All right, Forma, anything else? I, I, I yeah, that's a good. Just last question, just about you personally. Uh, your your English is pretty all right for someone that's lived in Russia most of their life. How did you learn English? I actually graduated University of Nottingham in the United Kingdom. Uh, so there's that. Yeah, there you go. I see. How long have you lived in the English world? Uh, about four years. Oh, well, yeah, I spent four years in the UK and I spent two years in New Zealand and I spent one year in Canada when I was very young. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, well, great answers. Uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure uh, talking to you. Uh, All right. Thanks for Matt. All right. Um, yeah, that's it's funny you were talking about just like all the wealth stuff in Putin because, you know, they always have those lists of the richest people in the world, you know, like mm-hmm. they always come out with and he's not even on there. Like it's it's always so funny. Yeah, but because because nobody knows how. Well, nobody knows, but you, uh, he's for sure has more money. money than Elon Musk. Like there's no question, especially if you're saying that 97 percent of the land in Russia is essentially owned by the government. You're like, yeah, it has to be. Something. Yeah. Has to be something. Square. Okay, we got another call. One moment, please. Hello, thanks for calling Low Value Mail. Who am I speaking with? Hello. Hey, sir. Hey, one moment, please. All right, hey, you're Danny, on with James you're on with Mikhail. How are you guys tonight? Good. You are on with Mikhail. Go ahead. I'm on. Yeah. yeah, you're on the show. Go ahead. Hey, how are you tonight, man? I'm doing great. Thank you. Cool. Um, question. Uh, well. A couple, whatever time will allow. Start the clock. Back in 2012, I guess uh, Russia joined the WTO. Correct. That's correct. Uh, and not like a correlation or anything, but also we passed the Smith-Mund Act in 2012 that changed how a lot of our media went with like the BBG and the uh, State Department able to provide material for inside the country um fast forward like 2014 what what would you say is the u.s involvement in that in 2014 in russia fast forward like 2014 uh the u.s involvement in 2014 uh i don't think there is any to be honest because putin successfully annexed crimea uh and uh i think u.s negotiated the truce between uh, Ukraine and Russia, uh, the uh, infamous Minsk agreements. Uh, 
which uh, were not followed by Ukraine. Uh, so yeah, I, I think uh, US played a diplomatic role. And I think some um, guarantees were made to Putin uh, and some guarantees were made to Ukraine. But I don't think the role of the US was uh, in 2014 was very large simply because Putin took everyone by surprise and the whole special operation in in Crimea um, came out of blue. Yeah. Would you say it brought uh, Ukraine closer to NATO around then? And the, uh, the I don't. I don't think. To be honest, uh, I don't think Ukraine. I don't think Ukraine is uh, close to joining a NATO. To be honest, uh, I think uh, um, the sentiment uh, of the pro-European, pro-Western sentiment in Ukraine existed way before that. I think Putin solved a lot of issues for Ukraine. Like the one thing that the West doesn't realize about this conflict is that the more Putin progresses towards the East of towards the west of the Ukraine, the more eastern territories it occupies, uh, he occupies, uh, the fewer uh, Russian people there is in Ukraine, uh, and the more homogeneous the society becomes, and the more pro-Western the society becomes. Because whatever um, whatever republic they had before 2014, it included a, a lot of pro uh, a lot of people who were strongly pro-Russian. Uh, and after Putin occupied Ukraine, automatically the country beca- became less pro-Russian because it <laughs> didn't include as many Russians as it did uh, a year prior. Uh, so to answer your question, um, Ukraine is moving closer to the West, the more successful Putin's advance advances are because they lose the territories that might have withheld it from moving too close uh, to to the European Union and too close to NATO. Does it make sense what I'm saying? Do you think? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think Russia, Putin, uh, maybe Putin and the population of Russia, maybe uh, differing opinions, obviously, a whole country, very large country. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what would their uh, idea about globalism, like a uh, a global world order of sorts, um, where like we have a, the UN, yeah, see, see, the, the WHO. No, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I understand. Uh, I think UN is very different from WTO and uh, from uh, whatever uh, yeah, Klaus Schwab like is doing. Yeah, they're just international <laughs> bodies with multiple yeah, yeah. countries I, I, I that would, have represented. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't lump it together with every other institu- global inst- institution because UN is uh, uh, is um, a thing in, in, within itself. So uh, to answer your question, uh, you see, the problem is that Russia has its own version of uh, globalism. And I think it, the West doesn't appreciate it enough. Uh, and it's root in the Soviet era as well as in the Tsarist era. So uh, whenever Putin tries to present himself uh, as a a force against Western globalism, he actually means Western globalism. He does not oppose globalism uh, as a concept. He just wants to rule it and he wants to wield more power within the globalist system. And if you look closely at the kind of laws that Putin enacts within Russia, they are actually very much aligned with the kind of laws that you see in Germany and you see in US and you see in Canada. Uh, So we have uh, our own digital currency being rolled in right now. Uh, So so we have uh, uh, Putin is trying to build the, um, he tries to build these, um, the social rating system, and he actually used the opportunity of the COVID lockdowns to uh, test run it and to see if it works. So, uh, similar to Xi in China. 
Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So if you look at his domestic policies, you, you're not going to be able to uh, differentiate him from the Western politician. It's only it's the, the global conflict that sets him apart, but not his goals. Interesting. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, I uh, thank you else? for the time. I figured I'm on here long. Thank you, Danny, and thank yeah. you, caller. You guys have a good night. No problem. Take care. Um, I actually have a question. This was this is from my dad. So both of my parents are, are from Russia. They they left in uh, all right. Yeah, nineteen seventy. I, I I wondered. I wondered if Polishuk was Russian. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> both, both of my parents are from Russia. So when I told them you were coming on, they they had some questions. They um. Okay. Specifically, this is from my dad. He was wondering: um, Is there support for libertarianism outside of the major cities? So or, I mentioned that. Uh, yeah, I know you said. Yeah, you you went the across whole tour, Russia. Right? Across Russia was immensely popular, and I'm the only one who actually managed to accomplish something like that. So I'd say there's a great potential. Uh, very few people know what libertarianism is, even though thanks to my work, uh, more and more people are becoming aware. So I think there's a great potential. But at the moment, uh, it's a moot point because uh, there is no politics uh, in Russia anymore. Uh, As little uh, politics as there were uh, like three years ago, there was still some. But today, there's just war and nothing else, war and fear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, libertarianism is basically the opposite of the current system. It's, you know, the the current system is the most amount of government for the most part. And then this is the least amount of government. So it seems like it would be a, a big sell to people, even if it's in their best interest. It's just such a massive. Change. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it is a massive change. And there's a lot of conservatism uh, preventing uh, people from, you know, sympathizing with libertarian ideas. But uh, also Russia has a very peculiar history. Uh, Russians never saw anything good come out of the government. Like all we saw from the government is suffering, uh, hunger, tragedy, war, uh, things like that. So it's actually very easy to convince uh, an ordinary Russian that government is up to no good. Uh, So a a lot of Russians are uh, naturally predisposed towards libertarianism, much more so than Europeans or the Americans, because you still live under this illusion that, you know, government might be up to something good right. uh, russians the russians <laughs> don't have such illusions yeah yeah. M- my mom is is probably a little more pessimistic although they both kind of are but her question is is basically uh she she says do you really think that russian society even cares about democracy like she she's very yeah, but pessimistic. D- demo- demo- yeah but democracy is different from liberty i right. i'm not a right. fan of democracy either uh at least not in a european sense definitely so I, I think we need to set these two things apart there's liberty which must be preserved which must be protected and democracy it's one of many many different ways of reaching an agreement within a society so don't mix the two they are completely different you have democ- like i live in latin america right now there are a lot of strong democracies you know venezuela used to be a strong democracy uh but they have no liberty so i don't care for democracy i care for liberty right right okay fair enough um we're, we're gonna wrap up very shortly thank you again for your time i do appreciate it so uh mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a question actually from um jr one of one of the patrons talking about telegram so you're a big proponent of telegram yeah uh, he's and it's it's a big it's in russia it's one of the considered one of the more secure um yeah, it's uh, at least it hasn't been compromised yet. We don't have proof that uh, you know uh, Telegram ever leaked a private conversation to the government anywhere, not just in Russia, but in Brazil, for example, where I live. Telegram is pretty big as well. 
and, and that's telegram was created by uh Pavel Durov. yeah it's it was created by a russian he lives in uh, arab emirates in dubai uh, nowadays because his previous business he used to uh, own of kontakti which is like facebook alternative in russia which is huge is like the biggest social network it was expropriated by the government basically uh he after that he he moved to dubai and created telegram okay yeah i guess his question was is there any uh because i guess there's some there's some youtuber who's who's maybe found some some back doors or, yeah. or whatnot no okay telegram, so but... the, 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 okay so uh there are no back doors in telegram at least uh, none of them uh have been proven okay. uh, and uh, of all the Massly, massively used messengers. Telegram is by far the safest one because we know for a fact that WhatsApp leaks uh, uh, its chat history to police uh, whenever asked. We know yeah. for a fact that Viber does the same. We know for a fact that Facebook does the same. There's not a single fact that proves that uh, right. a Telegram leaks, le- leaks chat history. So to me, that's good enough. Yeah. Uh, like until that happens. Until that happens, there is a benefit of a doubt. So, and again, uh, you need to consider alternatives. Alternatives are much worse. Uh, As I mentioned, we know for a fact that everyone else leaks chat history except Telegram. (laughs) Interesting, interesting. interesting. And what about uh, Bitcoin? Because obviously I know the libertarians here love Bitcoin. I love Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin has been uh, a godsend for the Russian opposition because it's basically the only way we can protect our money. It's the un- because the government uses bank banks basically as part of its repressive system, and they freeze the accounts, they freeze the money, they uh, uh, expropriate the money as well. Uh, and I've been involved in Bitcoin scene since 2011. I invent I invested in Bitcoin when it was less than five dollars. Nice. Uh, that that's, that's like that's, the uh, biggest flex that every libertarian has <laughs> because it's generally. And I, and no, I, like a, and, yeah, and yeah. I have screens to prove it because I actually wrote in in uh, Twitter uh, that I was buying it and right, uh, right. speculating how much it's going to cost. So, <laughs> that yeah. is that is a huge uh, flex for libertarians because they all are like, <laughs> yeah, I was in the day it came out. I was. It's just like it literally checks every box of being a libertarian. So they it all uh, have. Can, and is it able to like purchase in in Russia? Okay, uh, so uh, Russian system is very different from the U.S. In the U.S., you have very strict laws and everyone abides by them and the government is pretty pretty good at it, enforcing it. Uh, in Russia, it's quite the opposite. Russia is uh, always in a kind of state of anarchy within itself that, uh, yeah, you have repression, you have uh, uh, tyranny, you have uh, uh, political uh, repressions, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but uh, on the human level, on the um on the level it's a lot of things are possible so officially yeah government regulates bitcoin uh, on practice uh, you can buy bitcoin in any major city for cash and nobody's gonna know right you can buy it for cash but w- w- if you were to uh, always wanna... i never i never that's another flex and and if you ask me i think it's much <laughs> a bigger one is that i never ever had an account on a uh, currency exchange. So, right. So, so you always bought them just like off, offline. Always, always, uh, always um, um, peer-to-peer. Yeah. Peer-to-peer. Okay. All right. We got another uh, caller, probably last one of the night. One moment, please. Hello. Thanks for calling Low Value Mail. One moment. Hey, how's it going? Hey, what's up? Just right. one second. And you're on with Mikhail. Go ahead. Hey, how's it going? Hey, Kargila, I mean, Hey, so my question was, yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, it means something to me, but, um, what is it? Like, um, I'm trying to explain to people that 
no, because I am Russian. I explain to Americans like, yo, Russia's real spread apart, and there are people who live out in the middle of nowhere, like like people live in very remote areas. And what, like, what is the current state and situation of people who choose to live off the grid, and how much can they resist? or like the government coming in and you know bothering them about that well they leave at the mercy of the government basically they're uh, in, in a similar conditions to the american indians uh, who live in reservations yeah they have their own uh, autonomous regions they have territories that uh, uh they not rule over but i'm not sure what's the correct word but uh, where they roam uh, but uh, they don't have uh, political uh, representation and uh, Russia is not gonna split uh, split on these seams uh, because there's no political will there uh, among these kind of tribes and uh, there's no political culture. So the the uh, yeah. So basically, the answer to answer your question, uh, people who live off the grid uh, in the northernest part of Siberia and Chukotka and uh, on the east of Russia, uh, they are, they don't have their own statehood. They don't have their own uh, political ambitions. And uh, all they care about is uh, uh, leave, leaving the traditional way of life. Yeah. Okay. And then like, but how often do, would they get, like, would the government bother them? Like, for instance, like you were talking about owning firearms uh, they, and I know, yeah, the, I know the, the government there, like you need... Go ahead. Got it. Yeah, the, the government bothers them very much. Basically, they are at the mercy of the government. So whatever privileges they have, they don't have rights, they have privileges. So uh, whatever they can do to, today, uh, the government may take uh, away tomorrow. And that's exactly what happened during the Soviet era, where they were forced uh, they were forced to re-educate themselves. They were forced to abandon their traditional way of life. So it's not like, again, Russian system is very different from the American system. In the US, you have the rule of law and uh, some of the things uh, enshrined in the rule of law uh, protect uh, uh, the American tribes, for example. But uh, in the US, everything is a privilege. Uh, in, in Russia, everything is a privilege. So you can be fine today and bust tomorrow. Yeah, just depends on the will of okay. the, the government, I guess. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, yeah, and I understand there, there, no, 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 go on. I, I finished my point. Uh, I was going to say that uh, you guys were uh, talking about, like, picking different English words to represent rights or stuff. And my personal belief has always been that liberty is inherent and rights are afforded to you. So, you know, liberty should take a step, should, like, take the front seat. And rights are just are an excuse for government to exist, but... Uh, uh, no, yeah, I ha I'm not sure I agree with you. I think uh, oh, it's it's gonna be a difficult uh, philosophical talk uh, point. Okay, so uh, I'm not sure I agree with you because uh, liberty needs to be protected, and rights is how we protect our liberties. Uh, because uh, like a free man is not necessarily free from coercion. Uh, to 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 protect yourself from coercion and from violence and from aggression, you need to create a social contract. You need to create a right because uh, before entering the 
before creating the right, you're basically staying in the state of anarchy. And state of anarchy is uh, is the state of uh, perpetual aggression, if you will. Interesting. Does it? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that, I think that makes sense. That, that seems to be. Yeah, right. like the the the, the um, Saint Paul said that where there is no law, there is no crime, and I think there's a lot of truth in it. Yeah. Um. All right. Anything else, caller? Uh. Yeah. Just uh, one last question. I mean, I know it came in late, but I know y'all were talking a little bit of Ukraine conflict stuff. Um. My personal belief is like the best situation I could see come out of this whole. Uh, like entanglement or whatever people want to call it is the whole eastern set like the whole eastern section of ukraine becomes an independent buffer state which like because uh because yeah, like i remember in the referendums of 2014 2015 like a lot of those eastern parts they voted to be independent of ukraine and kiev and wanted to join Russia and Putin told him, I recognize your independence, but you guys are going to have to be independent on your own, but we'll trade with you and they'll be part of like whatever the CIS used to be, Confederate of Independent States. Uh, Um, Do you see that as a possibility? Yeah, I don't see it as a possibility at all. And even the referendums that were held in 2014 and 15 uh, were sham. So I, I, I would uh, strongly advise you not to take them seriously. Um, and nobody wants, not neither Russia nor Ukraine wants to see these territories to become independent. Nor it's political. No, neither is it politically feasible because they don't have resources to be independent. They don't have. Uh, um, like the logistics of, if you look at the geography of uh, uh, of the areas that were occupied by Russia, uh, it's just not feasible. So nobody wants to see these territories independent, especially uh, the territories themselves. Uh, if you look at the Donetsk and Luhansk, uh, who um, who voted to join Russia a couple of months ago, uh, voted, uh, I put in brackets, uh, th- there was never a plan to remain independent. They never wanted to be independent. It actually was perceived by a lot of Russians and it lo- a lot of people from Donetsk and Luhansk as a big betrayal that Russia uh, refused to uh, join, uh, to, to accept them into the union. Yeah, I remember After 2014. So nobody wants that. It's like it, in nobody's interest whatsoever. And All right, I think to follow up, that, follow that up is: Is Ukraine going to become the same thing where certain parts of the Middle East have become, where they're literally have become playgrounds for testing out new war machines and new war technology, as the instances so. in Yemen? Yeah. I hope not, because we're not seeing that today. Uh, actually, the U.S. is uh, reluctant to provide Ukraine with modern weapons, uh, and uh, I don't think it's in anybody's interest to perpetuate uh, this particular war. Hopefully, it's going to end soon. Hopefully, it's going to end soon. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Colin. Right. Appreciate it. Um, all right. We're going to wrap this up very shortly. Thank you again for your uh, for your time, Mikhail. Where, where can people find you? Me. Where can people find you? Uh, the, the best place on tw- on Twitter, Twitter uh, slash msvetov, or on Telegram. You can Google. Uh, you can search for SVTV News. That's my news outlet. Again, the second biggest libertarian news outlet in the world after Reason.com. I'm very proud of it. We just opened two years ago, and um, we have 
already pretty big. <laughs> and do you have um, like uh, captioned, subtitled content? Because I, I, I looked like a lot of your YouTube channels have, in, in Russia. But yeah, you know. yeah, my YouTube is in Russia. My YouTube is, <coughs> sorry, my YouTube is in Russian. But if you want to see my talk with Hans Hermann Hoppe, or you want to see his lecture that he gave in Moscow, uh, it's uh, subtitled in Russian, but the it's spoken in English. So uh, yeah, I was watching watch that, that today. Yeah, I was watching that. Yeah, today. all right. So right. Um, one last question before we're, we're going to wrap this up. So you, you obviously you're living in South America. Um, is there because you know obviously like in Brazil has an alliance with Russia. Is there any sort of issue yeah. with that, or is that just an economic alliance and that's just? No, it's an it's an economic alliance, and also because Lula hates the U.S. and wants to stick it up to uh, to the Americans. Um, I don't think there is a real like the 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 distance between Brazil and uh, Russia such that you can't really have a close a close close connection because like the geography works against it. Uh, so the reason I chose Brazil is because it actually allows me to stay to remain independent, independent of Russia and independent of Europe and independent of the U.S. and uh, keep my uh, um, and, and it allows me to 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 speak my heart and say right. what I think Just is to important to be said. Plus. Yeah, because in, in like my colleagues and a lot of people who left and immigrated into the European countries, uh, they actually faced their own censorship. And the big story with the Dosh TV station was that they were expelled from uh, Baltic states uh, after they uh, broadcasted some critical information about Ukraine. So uh, I'm not in that position and I'm very proud of uh, remaining independent through these uh, daring times. <laughs> yeah. Are you the only one down there in Brazil, like Russian libertarian? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm the only one. Well, but, but mostly because um, I'm the only one who can afford uh, to to remain here. And um, yeah, but I'm not working in Brazil. Like I, I work online. I organize the movement, but I I'm I, I'm financially independent thanks to my investment in Bitcoin, and that right, right. provides me with a lot of freedom. Yeah. Nice. Um, okay. Well, uh, thank you very much uh, for joining me today. And uh, everybody, go go check out Mikhail wherever you can find him. Uh, YouTube. Telegram, all that stuff. I've been Danny Paulschuk. Tomorrow night we got a new episode of the Bathhouse. And uh, if you like the show and you want more of the show, support me on Patreon or Twitter. Have a good night. Take care, everybody. When I spit phenomenon When I hit she feel that shit at her abdominals These rappers make me laugh like comic view, they comically You know I got a ball and I hit the track running just like Sonic do They don't wanna turn on my light switch Yeah They was trying to get me on my hype shit Yeah They don't wanna turn on my light switch Yeah And they tried to down me up some KO type shit Yeah They don't wanna turn on my light switch Yeah Now we pulling up fresh on some flight shit ah. They don't wanna turn on my light switch Yeah They don't wanna turn on my light switch yeah. They don't wanna turn on my light switch Yeah they was trying to get me on my hype shit. Yeah. They don't wanna turn on my light switch. Yeah. And they tried to down me up some kale type shit. Yeah. They don't wanna turn on my light switch. Yeah. I'm pulling up fresh on some flight shit.